Welcome to Real Assets, Real Expertise, a podcast brought to you by Crestbridge. It's the place where we explore the world of real estate. Introducing your host, Stephanie Workman. You're listening to Real Assets, Real Expertise. Welcome to the latest episode of the Real Assets, Real Expertise podcast by Crestbridge. Today's guest is Anna Klein, a partner at Maples Teasdale, a city-based law firm specialising in commercial real estate. Anna is head of ESG at Maples and has a particular interest in ESG and its impact on commercial real estate and the drafting of legal documents. Anna has done extensive work on green leases and is part of the BPF Green Lease Working Group. Thank you for being with us today. Starting with a rather obvious first question, but seems like a good place to start for those who don't know, what are green leases? Well, you're right, it is a good place to start. um, And it can feel like a bit of a mystery uh, because there's no set definition and there's no industry standard approach. Um, For this podcast, I looked up some definitions I could find. And a useful one was from the uh, Better Buildings Partnership, who talk about uh, a standard form lease with additional clauses included, which provide for management and improvement of the environmental performance of a building by both the owner and occupier. So I think that covers it quite nicely. Um, And if you were to ask me, I'd say it's a lease that includes clauses that direct people towards sustainable behaviours. Okay, great. And is there typically a framework for for guidance when they're getting put together or? Well, not really. There's not really a set form. Like I say, it's it's quite granular. Uh, It's constantly evolving. Um, So we don't really have a set formal uh, guidance approach. The approach we take tends to vary from client to client. um, And that variation uh, of approach depends on their appetite, their asset types and what asset classes they're dealing with. Um, So for some clients, we implement a traffic light system. So we might have uh, red, amber and green clauses. Uh, Red ones would be clauses that they want in every single lease. So the more simple kind of traditional green lease clauses. Then moving into the amber, these are clauses that they'd like to have, but might negotiate, but usually need sign off from very senior level uh, for that kind of negotiation to take place. And then there's green clauses, which are basically clauses that are very site specific. So they might tie in with the planning permissions for the building or uh, it might be a particularly green and innovative building. Um, So it's it's appropriate to have more uh, kind of onerous clauses on them. Um, Yes. So um, so what we tend to do with clients, rather than having a framework, we have a kind of menu of of options, clauses that they might like, they might be uh, comfortable with, they might be less comfortable with. And generally where we get to is um, a kind of happy position where they're comfortable that what we're putting in the lease reflects their goals and their ambitions. um, But isn't uh we'll move on to greenwashing later i think but isn't some they're not saying something that they don't back up or believe in truly so that's that's the usual approach to uh setting a framework for what each client wants so it's pretty bespoke then for each client seems to be like they whatever they want to commit to really exactly 100 percent. i mean we've got some clients who are um, institutional clients they have to be a little bit more cautious with what they put in 
Uh, then we have other clients who are, you know, their whole business model is around the sustainability of their buildings. So they're much more um, innovative and um, kind of forward looking um, and put wording in that other clients might not be able to just because it, it just doesn't tie in with their ethos or their goals. But yes, it's very, very much focused on what clients want and that can vary as well. You know, you can have a client who will pick a certain selection of clauses, which will be appropriate for part of their, their portfolio, but it might not be appropriate for another. So you kind of have to consider that as well um, and, mm. and look at all of that kind of in the whole, really. Okay. And you mentioned traditional green lease clauses. Can you give some examples of those? Yeah, sure. So as I've mentioned, we, we kind of have different approaches depending on what clients uh what they want um they range from what i call light green clauses right to dark green so the light green ones are the type of clauses that most people will accept they're more traditional uh, and more industry standard uh green lease clauses so they would be things like statements of intent about cooperation data sharing uh, forums metering and provisions about obtaining epcs and things like uh, alterations works not negatively impacting EPC ratings. So all of those kind of things are fairly standard and you don't really see much pushback on them. But then moving towards the darker green, the more innovative um, and more uh, punchy kind of green clauses, these ones might be particularly appropriate for clients who are very who have sustainability at their core or who have particular assets that are very uh, green kind of green buildings or very sustainable buildings okay so they would be things like requiring use of green energy um, regulations around cleaning products and cleaning practices um, uh, coordinating deliveries to buildings uh, and moving away from standard reinstatement obligations, you know, to leave uh, items that enhance sustainability of the building rather than just removing them at the end of the term. And also you can also have clauses where you have buildings who've got certifications in place already and have provisions around that, ensuring that all parties continue to behave in a way that doesn't affect those certifications. So penalties wise, if you don't meet these various criteria, are tenants in breach of their lease or landlords and tenants in breach of the lease or what are the what are the consequences for not following these clauses yeah so technically yes if there's provisions in the lease that they're the tenants required to comply with and they don't yes it would be a breach of the lease terms mm. but you know this is another area where there's lack of certainty in the industry it would take a very punchy landlord to forfeit for a tenant not complying with their green lease obligations mm. um so now we have discussions in the industry about whether you offer a carrot or a stick approach. So, you know, do you have a carrot? Do you reward tenants for green behaviours, for complying with their obligations by things like rent rebates or bonuses? Or, you know, do you have a, a stick approach which might involve green bonds? So we have some clients who have green bonds in place. So if tenants don't comply with their obligations funds can be drawn down from those bonds but again these are a fairly innovative approach there's not an industry standard um, and it does feel like we're, we're kind of waiting to see where where people become comfortable where the middle ground is or the acceptable ground to both sides uh, will fall but we're not there yet and it very much depends on on negotiating power and and how important uh, landlords mm. consider these clauses to be and when did these kinds of uh, queries and inquiries requests for green leases start coming in 
Well, I would say we started having conversations with clients about this about four or five years ago. But I would say in the last two years, those conversations have grown significantly. I would say pretty much every client we act for across the board now has had the conversation about how they make their leases more sustainable, how they make their leases more acceptable in in the modern in modern practices. So yeah, I'd say in the last two years, very much huge amounts of progress have been made. You hinted about greenwashing before. Is there any regulation in place to prevent green leases being used as a method for greenwashing? Well, it's interesting. Good, really good question. Actually, a really interesting question for me to think about. Um, there isn't currently any um, specific anti-greenwashing legislation in the UK, but we do have uh, existing laws such as um, laws around misrepresentation, unfair competition, and consumer uh, protection laws, which which you know they prevent people making false statements in effect. Um, so. At the minute, that if you know if you wanted to challenge somebody's greenwashing behaviour, that would be your recourse generally. But I think that's going to change um, because it's such a huge topic in the media. Um, industry bodies are taking a much closer look at this. So the FCA are currently consulting on a proposed package of new measures around this. Um, they're looking at um, how terms like ESG, green and sustainable can be used. So that's going to be huge. I think they're consulting till uh, mm. January 2023. Um, so that will be really interesting and I'll have a huge impact, I think, on the industry. Um, also, the uh, Competitions and Markets Authority have uh, issued a green claims code uh, and that came into effect earlier this year. So again, there's there's changes and, and these big you know, significant uh, industry bodies are are picking it up. So it's it's going to happen. Mm. So currently, is there no um, definition for green, um, sustainable? No, no. <laughs> I know, wow. I mean, that's part of the problem. That's why people find it so difficult yeah. to get their heads around it. There isn't a, a standard definition that you can just quickly flick to. Um, I mean, the, the other thing I, w- I would say on um, on greenwashing is, you know, despite all these kind of, big picture kind of regulations and things you know businesses are worried about greenwashing just purely from a reputational perspective mm. you know they have we always say to our clients and i touched on it briefly earlier we always say to our clients whatever you're doing you have to be authentic believe in it and want to do it and it has to be appropriate to you there's no point in having all singing or dancing green lease clauses if you can't back them up you know and and it's not a case of talking the talk anymore you know you have to talk talk and walk the walk at the same time and um you know you'll know Steph any kind of pitch document people put forward now it's not just oh have you got a sustainability policy in place it's like have you got one in place and what are you actually doing to make Mm -hmm. sure that that's being followed what are you actually doing in your business to live what you're talking about and I think so I think that it's a two-prong I think the, the regulation will come and it will come fairly rapidly. And I think in the meantime, and also alongside that, I think there's this massive concern about reputational damage that will drive drive mm. people's behaviours as well. Yeah, because I think the worst thing to do would be to overpromise and then underdeliver. I mean, reputationally, the impact on on in, within the industry would be terrible. So I can see why landlords are being cautious 
when they are creating these leases with you, with your with your assistance from your team. Mm-hmm. No, I, that's exactly it. Exactly. Beyond the impact on the planet, are there any benefits to landlords and tenants for implementing and signing up to a green lease as opposed to just a standard lease? Yeah, I think you know, there's a few kind of. It's a really good question again because it covers a lot of, of elements of our industry. I think generally um, having green lease clauses it puts sustainability and environmental performance in people's minds. You know, it it, it enables and facilitates conversations that might not otherwise happen. And it enables both sides of, of, a, of a property deal to have a say in how the other behaves. You know, there's no point in a landlord having a fantastic or singing or dancing sustainable building and then letting their tenants do whatever they like to it, you know, and damage that, that performance. And on the flip side, you know, many tenants who enter into those kind of leases, they have their own agendas. They want to, you know, be able to stand up and say, we're in a really you know, green building. Um, you know, so they want to be able to make sure that their landlords you know, will perform and do and deliver that. And also, you know, their landlord's successes, you know, so at least they're, they're there, they're going to stay, whether a landlord changes or a tenant assigns, they're there to kind of keep that keep that relationship and that discussion there. So I think, I think that's, for me, the main reason. But then I think, you know, in terms of culture, and again, reputational considerations, you know, each business having their own kind of net carbon zero goals, and, and that's really important to all businesses, all responsible businesses, and, and it will continue to be so. Um, and not just in terms of the outward looking, also inward looking. You know, you make a better working environment or a better retail environment. You know, you're going to it's going to help you with staff recruitment. It's going to help you with staff retention and it's going to help the well-being of your team, all of which kind of ties into like the wider ESG elements. of green leases. Yeah. So I think. There's those things. Um, Yeah, regulations, they're going to keep growing and and we're going to have to comply with them. And like we said before, you know, currently a bit toothless, but, you know, there are going to be serious consequences for for businesses who don't comply. Uh, And then, you know, if you want to look at it just from a purely financial point of view, you know, there's the argument that sustainable, sustainable buildings are easier to let, they attract higher rents. You know, tenants are keen, uh, particularly in the London office market. There's a real push for um, people to, um, they really want sustainable buildings. That's a very popular, mm. um, you know, yeah. sustainable buildings can be cheaper to operate, you know, if they're, if they're more energy efficient. Um, and I suppose, you know, in terms of real nuts and bolts, you know, looking at your valuations, if you've got a sustainable building, you know, Arguably, and I think most people would agree, in the long term, that's going to be a better bet uh, on valuation than a building that's going to need significant work to comply with the regulations. So I think, yeah, there's there's a number of, uh, of benefits on, on both sides, really. Um, and I'm sure I've forgotten a lot. And I'm sure people listening will have other ideas, which <laughs> I'd be good to hear. But there's just so many reasons. Well, I think for the layman, I have always assumed that a green lease just relates to all the environmental side, the E and the ESG. And actually, from talking with you today, I think that there's definitely an impact on the social side. Um, you know, tenants are looking for greener leases, greener buildings. Um, everyone's thinking about decarbonisation. There's a lot of talk about that from a landlord's perspective. Um, but also, you know, with the ongoing energy crisis and people are looking at their bills and they're going, we need our overheads to be as 
you know, managed as possible. So that sounds like it's all, it all kind of factors in. Yeah, of course. So historically, um, the focus of green lease clauses has been the E. So it's definitely the environmental elements that we're looking at. Right. Um, however, increasingly, we're seeing provisions that deal with the S element. So the ESG, so the social side of um, ESG. Mm. And what we're seeing there is that we're having people adding clauses around um, commitments to pay not less than the living uh London living wage or the relevant living wage for the area in which the premises is built to anyone uh, employed in that building. And we're also seeing things like uh, commitments to employing a certain number of staff from the local vicinity. So we're definitely starting to see S become more popular. And my prediction for the future is that that's definitely going to become increasingly uh, standard and become much more of a focus area than it has been historically. Yeah, absolutely. Um, have you seen any limitations to the use of having a green lease? Are there any deterrents that are holding landlords or tenants back from pressing forward the rollout of, of green leases? Yeah, I think that lack of industry standard makes people nervous. I think that lack of understanding mm. of, of what they involve, it makes people nervous. Um, and I think that to me is probably the, the biggest limitation. I think people think that everybody else knows what they're doing but a lot of us you know in the industry a lot of people we speak to they they're all learning they're all trying to understand what it means and and um and what what they can do comfortably so that definitely that lack of industry standard um is is mm. is, a, is, a, is a limit is there a worry about them tripping themselves up almost and creating more things to adhere to and follow yeah, definitely or or you know being outside the market, you know, just doing something that turns out to, you know, to not achieve what they're hoping to achieve. Um, yeah, you know, it's easy when there's an industry standard, you can just say, well, we're going to do that. And that that's fine. And everybody's yeah. fine with that. You know, um, when there isn't, you know, particularly so, you know, some of our other clients, our clients who are very ambitious and very forward looking and, and very innovative, you know, they want to achieve all of these things, but whatever they put in ultimately may well have to be acceptable to funders or like I say kind of successive owners or occupiers you know if you put too much in the lease and 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 there isn't that uh, appetite for it in the market you know are you going to damage the value Mm. so I, I think there is that that is the limitation I think people just they want to know that they're what they're doing achieves what they want to but isn't going to I would say scare the horses. Um, you know, it's not going to. You no, know, people aren't going to panic. Um, and I think, you know, it's again, it, it's that the limitations to the use again, the, the lack of uh, a standard approach to enforcement. You know, how do you enforce them? If you can't enforce them, does that devalue the provisions themselves? Um, I don't think it does. Actually, I think, as I said before, these provisions enable conversations. But you know, there are these questions that people. Um, that, that they haven't got solid answers to yet. Do you ever see, would you ever see a, a drive to standardisation? I mean, you mentioned earlier on about the um, the terminology being looked at, looked at being agreed on. Um, do you see a, a drive towards regulation and standardisation in the space? I, th- I think so. I, I, I think it's inevitable, um, but it, I don't think it's going to be easy because it, it varies so greatly across 
uh, asset types, asset classes, uh, client types. Um, so I think, yes, there will be, and it would be nice to have some kind of clarity around certain definitions and um, it will happen, but it's just when really, uh, and this whole sector is so fast, it evolves so quickly um, and you're constantly seeing that evolution that I think it takes a bit of time for regulation to catch up with that. Um, it sort yeah. of almost feels like it's chasing it a bit. So we'll see. Okay. Have you noticed any trends since the team at Maples T-Cell have been working with your clients to create green leases and have they kind of evolved at all over the last few years? Yes, yeah, no, definitely. Um, like I said earlier, that the last two years in particular has seen real uh, progress on, on that front. Um, we're seeing a lot more detailed provisions in leases. Um, we you know, commonly used to see leases with a green schedule attached at the back and some occupiers would just strike out the whole um, schedule. So we're not doing that. Um, wow. You know, and so now you see less of that. Um, now you see those provisions are now in the main body of the lease. So, um, yeah, we, we're definitely seeing more detailed provisions. Um, we're seeing that they're more widely accepted by occupiers as well. Um, and, you know, you get some occupiers who are particularly um, well-versed in sustainability and they might have specific requirements. They might ask landlords to put provisions in the leases that the landlord wouldn't have thought of before. Um, so that's that's a real positive and, and a real change. Um, and I guess we are trying to anticipate what might come because it's such an evolving area. Um, we're trying to future-proof drafting as much as we can, but it's challenging yeah. because you just don't know what's going to happen. So um, making sure that clauses aren't too limited in their scope uh, and too specific to a particular time because obviously they're in place mm. for a long time. Um, yeah, and we're seeing also more details and heads of terms. That's a, a fairly recent change. You used to mm -hmm. see sweeping statements in heads of terms basically saying, you know, a landlord has a sustainability agenda and the tenant will, you know, acknowledge that. Uh, but now you'll have actual, actual, you know, provisions about particular clauses in the lease that are important to the landlord and they'll be in the heads of terms. And the intention okay. there being that it makes negotiations much quicker. Um, and right. You, you don't have a lot of to and throwing you know, between lawyers and then between principals as well. Um, so that's, that's I think, going to see, you know, we are seeing a lot more of that and I'm pretty sure that's going to continue. Um, and then I suppose, you know, other things, a lot more of our clients are collecting the data. So they're actually collecting lease, green lease data. They're asking us to comply, you know, confirm that leases have X, Y, and Z clauses in. And if they haven't, we have to flag it. Um, and I suppose... You know, the other, other really big change is around due diligence. So on acquisitions and disposals, you know, we used to just have, well, what's the EPC rating? And that was pretty much mm. it. Whereas now it's much more, they really drill down into the detail. So, um, you know, in terms of what's what's the life, you know, what's the sustainability agenda for the life cycle of the building, for the life cycle of the leases, that's becoming much more common. So, yeah. Okay. And then... If you had a crystal ball and you could predict the future for green leases and sustainability initiatives generally within landlord and tenant matters, what would they be? So definitely that they're here to stay and that they're going to evolve uh, and quickly. Um, I think that some of the 
dark green clauses, so the most extreme clauses that we're using now with our most innovative clients, they will quite quickly become increasingly mainstream and we'll see new clauses that are innovative. And it, It's such a, a, a swift moving area. We're definitely going to see increased regulation. Um, and as I touched on before, I think my main prediction in the shorter term is that we're going to start seeing more of the S elements coming into lease provisions and um, agreements for lease and construction documents, things like that. I think we'll, we'll see a real, real change to there. Mm. Yeah, it does sound like such a fast moving um, area and everything's bespoke. So there's always lots to do. <laughs> If clients um, and sort of anyone listening to this podcast wants to find out more about green leases, um, what would be the best way to get to get through to you? Yeah, sure. So we have our website's got uh, all of our details on. It's got a lot of information about ESG things that we've been doing. So yeah, you can email me at acline at maplesteasdale.co.uk. Um, and also, um, yeah, we run events throughout the year. So if you want to attend or get recordings, you can always ask for them as well. So yeah, and we're always happy to have initial conversations Um just to try and help people get started um, and I've also got um, planning and construction colleagues who are also very hot on, on green provisions so they'd be delighted to speak to people too. Great well thank you so much I found that really informative as someone who doesn't know a huge amount about uh, green leases it sounds like you've got a depth of knowledge and experience in the area so I'm glad I managed to catch up on it and um, yeah thanks very much for your time. Thanks a lot Steph. You've been listening to Real Assets, Real Expertise, a podcast from Crestbridge, presented by Stephanie Workman. To find more episodes of our podcast, go to our website, crestbridge.com, or where you usually download your podcasts. For more information on how Crestbridge can provide a range of services to support your real estate structures, visit our website, www.crestbridge.com realassetsrealexpertise.com